welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services, and also information on our forthcoming events. For now, though, let's get on with the show. Filled with both the ambition to create something of your own and the daunting prospect of failure, most of us go into starting our own business with a combination of excitement and fear. Especially in those early days, it can be tremendously challenging to know where to begin, how to build a team, and whether or not you're on the right path. This is why Evolve has created the Ignite program, which provides structured advice and support to individuals and companies at the start of their journey. Using our unique methods, we help to generate and maintain business momentum while also acting as a sounding board and expert ear to both the common and uncommon challenges any new business owner may face. As part of this principle, I decided for this week's podcast to talk a little bit about my own experience of starting businesses, as well as draw on the accounts of some of the guests we've had on the show over the years. So sit back and enjoy stories of bright ideas, bravery, resilience and success. Whether you're already a business owner or considering becoming one, I hope this episode both inspires and motivates you to keep pressing on along your path. Before we hear from our selection of guests, I'd like to begin by recounting my own journey and reflecting on that question I often pose during the course of a podcast to my own guests on whether I was always destined to run my own business. I think we should start with the fact that I never properly finished school. I left school at 15 with just five GCSEs and although I enjoyed school, perhaps a little bit too much, I never really engaged with education. Looking back now, I wonder whether if this lack of engagement was that urge to break away, to be different, to do my own thing, already manifesting itself. Bear in mind too, at this time the UK was in a very deep recession and my dad had just lost his job. I think seeing what my dad was going through gave me that hunger and drive to succeed, as well as a willingness to take on responsibility. My first real job at 16 was as a trainee accountant for a local firm. I was also working in a bar and also selling burglar alarms door to door on the weekends. It was all about survival and creating an income stream so I wasn't a burden on my mum and my dad. I soon moved out of home and worked at two or three small independent firms before becoming qualified as an accountant and a chartered tax advisor. I suppose there it see, I seen that education had a purpose so I really did engage with it. I started working for a larger firm And from very early on there, there were suggestions that I might eventually take over its leadership. And yet, that niggling desire to do something for myself still persisted. However, foolishly or not, I ignored that nagging doubt and went into corporate life. I joined a much larger international firm. But as soon as I was there, I was already thinking of the next hurdle, the next thing I could achieve, the next step. And for me, clearly, that was to become a partner in this larger firm. 
So I started doing all the things I needed to do to get there. And when I turned 30, it happened. I was told that offer, that opportunity of partnership in this huge international firm was in front of me. I was really still young to be given that kind of opportunity and was, of course, both proud of myself and also flattered. Outwardly, it seemed an obvious choice. This is what I'd been working towards, to take it. But that now familiar inner voice was still persisting. It was saying, this is all great, but you still won't be in control. So crazy as it might sound, I turned down that offer of partnership. I could see there was an opportunity to be something different, to offer something different. This was when my entrepreneurial, my founder's journey truly began. Therefore, I do reflect and think there was always an instinct and desire in me to do my own thing. Many of you, I'm sure, will resonate with this. So there I was, I'd left this big corporate and it was just me, a laptop, a phone and a desk in a tiny managed office suite. And full disclosure, I remember sitting there during the first few weeks and thinking, Munson, what on earth have I done? This is nothing unusual, of course. In fact, not feeling scared would be very strange. Also, as I'm sure many of you know, it's this fear that can act in positive ways to motivate you to succeed. I could have gone back to that previous firm, tail between my legs or found another job, but my decision had been made. It did feel right, and I was certain I could make it work. So my advice to you is when you have those early doubts that you undoubtedly will have when you start a business, lean into them, breathe into them, and use them to motivate you to drive the venture forward. One of the key reflections for me that drove the success in the early years of Inspire was that I had real focus, passion, and belief in what Inspire was to become and what good was to look like. And I think as much as everyone talks about having a business plan, which clearly is important, I think it's more important to have clarity and focus with a true sense of passion and belief in what you're doing that drives success in those early days and years of any new business. Having focus, passion and belief gives you that guiding star against which all decisions can be made. From the beginning, I decided Inspire was to be a professional services firm with a strong focus on supporting entrepreneurs and business owners on their journeys. When I set out, my main driver was that I wanted to treat people as individuals, both clients and team members, and lead in a principled way. The early period in a business is also when the team around you can make a difference. In any organisation, no one person alone can drive success. It is in the power, strength and skills of all that mean that everyone is important. Each makes an invaluable contribution and together everyone succeeds. Teamwork and team spirit is everything, in my opinion, as you start a business. Other lessons from those early days of not just Inspire, but also in a technology business I co-founded, a financial services firm that I built and sold and now within Evolve are, be bold in what you want to achieve. Make sure you know where your product or service fits in the market and how you're going to differentiate yourself in that marketplace. Understand the underlying cash flow model that underpins the business so that you can fund or find ways to fund those early months and fuel early growth. Lack of cash flow trips up so many early start and early stage businesses. Don't be afraid to make tough decisions that may be needed in those early days. If there is an issue, then deal with it and confront it. 
Finally, have clarity on the values of your business and from day one, live and breathe those values with no compromises whatsoever. Carrying on now from my own story, the following is a compilation of recollections from a number of previous guests in which they reflect on how and why they started their business, what those early years were like, the challenges they faced, and some of the key things they've learned along the way on their journey. Let's begin with my very first guest we ever had on the podcast, Mark Cribb, founder of Urban Guild, who talks about how a combination of travelling abroad and living in London gave him the experience and confidence and knowledge he needed to enter the world of hospitality. I came back from travelling. I was away for nearly two years and um, I nearly bought a, uh, an old B&B in, down by the railway station in Bournemouth to turn into a youth hostel um, because I'd stayed in all these youth hostels travelling. Bournemouth was fundamentally a tourism town. I couldn't understand why we didn't have the sort of places that I'd seen when I was travelling. Um, but I was 21 maybe when I got back. Uh, had no money, no business experience. Did get fairly close to raising the debt to buy this really run-down old B&B by the railway station to turn into a hostel but I think it fell through um, fairly late on and I just thought you know what I should probably go and practice with other people's money first of all okay. so at that was a good yeah, idea yeah I was yeah <laughs> I was intelligent enough to kind of go okay 21 yeah I probably don't know everything and and also I was quite bored having been away for two years in Bournemouth it just felt a little bit sort of same same and I'd never really enjoyed London but I, what I did recognise from London is it felt like travelling because it had so many cultures and so many uh, nationalities and because I always felt lost. And my now wife then, uh, what was she then? Probably just somebody I was chasing. Ex-girlfriend, actually. We've been out for a while before I went away. Um, she'd gone up to London and got a job as a teacher. So I thought, sod it, I'm going to go to London. And I went to London and, and got a job. Yeah, so we decided to come back to uh, Bournemouth. We were up in London for about eight or nine years. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd run health clubs and leisure centres, a so sort of hospitality but again, I'd done, yeah, that's it. I'd done the 10 years then uh, working for somebody else and thought, right, now I've learned enough. Everywhere I'd worked, I'd had sort of double digit growth. Um, you know, I'd, I'd gone up the career ladder fairly fast. I'd run multi-million pound health clubs and leisure centers by this point. So I proved to myself that I was capable of running a business. So I came back with, with a CV uh, and then just started looking around for things in hospitality. I checked out an old coffee, coffee house in Wimborne, um, but found this really rundown old B&B in Boscombe and, and it kind of scratched that ish again back to the youth hostel from yeah. 10 years previously, but this time it was a boutique hotel. So everything I'd learned while I was traveling was about hospitality and informality and friendliness, but London had taught me about plasma tellies and, and like a hot shower and not sleeping in a bunk bed. And I just thought, well, I'll merge the two. So yeah, found this old rundown B&B and uh, decided, right, now's the time. I've proved myself, I'm gonna do it. Next is Kate Chasty, who took over the Passionate PA in 2010, barely two weeks after its founder had passed away. In 2012, she turned the business into a franchise, and within three years, the Passionate PA had significantly increased its turnover. In this snippet, Kate talks about how her family background, rebellious spirit, and dislike of being formally employed sparked her own entrepreneurial spirit. I've always been a bit of a free spirit, if I'm honest, Warren, and I, you know, I hated school, I hated university, it was all too structured for me, and I wasn't a very good employee either, if I'm honest, when I was at the beginning of my career, because I always wanted to put in 
120%. And and some employers, they just want you to do the job and then do yeah. the job really well and then, you know, leave at the end of the day. And that was never me. I was always all in or, you know, completely detached from it. So, so yeah, I, I think um, I had a really interesting um childhood with my parents you well my dad working um in in a serious role and I think he just he taught me what corporate life was about and I didn't really okay. want that so I wanted to create my own um my own way of working you think so you yeah. rebelled against seeing your dad in the corporate life do you think yeah I'm not sure rebelled is the right word I think I wanted um as most children do I wanted to very much please him you know he wanted me to have this really great corporate career and chase the money and everything um and I just didn't see that there was any enjoyment in that because he um so he he had he was an accountant essentially or, or a tax inspector actually um for the top three of the top four accountancy firms so very much your world Warren and um and as much as he was very good at it, incredibly good at it, he didn't love it. There was no passion in it. There was no um, excitement for the day-to-day job, really. He lived for the weekends when he was renovating houses and um, he ended up, you know, just chasing the money and the money and the money. And um, by the time he was 48, he'd, you know, had enough money to retire, but he also had a heart attack on the way home from, from work. And, you know, his body literally said, you can't do this anymore. So, it wasn't um it wasn't a great example of how corporate life can be i'm sure there are examples of it being wonderful but that wasn't what i wanted at all i thought there had to be more to life if you're going to spend your your life working you've got to love it i i sort of began to understand so yeah it was an interesting <laughs> interesting childhood <laughs> rupert holloway left his job as a quantity surveyor to found conquer Dorset's first gin distillery in 2014. In this clip, Rupert gives advice for anyone who wants to start a business on a shoestring budget and how this can be an advantage. It was just you, you know, with a small distillery pot and, you know, experimentation and all of those things. And But what advice would you give to somebody starting a business that you've got grand ideas for, but you're doing it on a, you're bootstrapping it on a real shoestring? Yeah. So what are some of those lessons that you think that you learned going through that process that would be of value to others, Rupert? Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I did not have any money. I I didn't have a a trust fund. I didn't have, you know, money burning a hole in the pocket, which I thought, what should I do with this? What business could I put this into? So I I spent a lot of my time and I was quite, remember being quite frustrated by it a lot of my time was spent trying to find money and justify yeah. like trying to bid for grants and bid and bid for okay. like startup loans so that forced my hand to write a business um, plan yeah do the forecasts yeah but do you know what when when people um so i'm a big believer that it's better to start with nothing mm. than to start with 100k in your pocket yeah because when you've got 100k in your pocket You've got no, you've got no, you've got nothing to prove to anyone. No. You know, you 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 convince yourself you've got a great idea and you go start spending. Yeah. Whereas when you've got no money, um, you've got to demonstrate and convince others that your business case is viable. Yeah. Um, which is the route I went, which means you get this like validation. Yeah. Rather than I don't know what the expression is, but you know when you're kind yeah. of. But you're not burning <laughs> cash, are you? Not, well, yeah. you? You're making decisions that are very considered because every thousand pounds that you get to spend on the business yeah from whatever source it may be you've got to make the right decision with it haven't you 100 percent. yeah so there's definitely that like you've got less money and um so your decisions are probably more careful yeah. 
But really, it's this kind of idea that if you start, bootstraps have this very unique position where they've got to demonstrate to others very early on that the business is a viable idea. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're if you're if you've got the cash, you don't really need to go through that process because yeah. you can just crack on. So you could crack on with something which really doesn't have any legs. Yeah. Now we're here from Gina Felshe co-founder and COO of Tailwind Games, a video game development studio working within the Roblox metaverse that has raised more than $4 million since its creation in 2021. Gina was also one of Forbes 30 under 30 in 2022. Here she reflects on the intricacies of fundraising via angel investment and venture capital, including the importance of warm intros. Yeah, as soon as we had one angel... um... He then introduced us to some of the other angels on our hit list, or we actually managed to reach out to some through like mutual connections. Warm intros are, I'll, I'll bandy these around, this around <laughs> until I'm blue in the face, but unfortunately still, it's like, it, warm intros are kind of gold dust yeah. for raising money because it kind of makes sense. And it's like someone's far more likely to take a call from someone who's recommended that person yeah. because they get so inundated with cold outreach trusting isn't it, it we is, trust yeah. people and people buy sort of people buy people and people look at opportunities because they trust the person that's mm. passing it to them and and an angel has less kind of resource for deal flow than a vc does yeah. so they do rely on those warm intros yeah. so i would anyone listening who is fundraising right now i'd highly recommend like if you can get warm intros and they do sort of hunting packs don't they They do yeah as soon as you get one that's that validation there and it makes it a hell of a lot easier to yeah to connect with their connections and make things happen and just sell it and just pitch as well because they're they at that point they're probably 30 percent already in and you're just kind of pushing them over to that yeah Yeah, and i've heard you describe it before it's a bit of a you you call it a sales job don't you really Mm. you become a salesperson you have to take off your day-to-day role and actually get out there and yeah sell sell the business sell the opportunity yeah i think as soon as you kind of if you're at the stage of the business be like well we need to take in some sort of funding be it equity be it debt be it Mm. kind of grant um your role as a founder does become a salesman yeah Um, i think you can decide what that role of a salesman is and how you portray yourself as that salesman i don't think that you have to you know don the suit don the tie be cold be corporate i think you can decide what version of yourself becomes yeah. that salesman and i think as you said people buy people and people like doing business with people yeah you're selling your passion and your vision if you can yeah. get that person on board with that like be be that super nerd be that super yeah. passionate person uh and i think you're far more likely to have more success adam matten founded removal company we move in 2016 with the aim of disrupting the sector with WeMove's spirits of heightened professionalism and fun, all under the principle of making that moving day simple and hassle-free. Here he discusses the biggest challenge of running a removals business and how he's overcome it. And on that operational side, and challenges of growth, is you must have a very seasonal business and demand for your services, even as sort of peaks and troughs within Monday to Friday. Yeah, resourcing is... is massively um you know our, our biggest headache is really really tough so not only is it seasonal yet yeah, everyone wants to move in the summer there's certain spikes um you know just before christmas um, um and on that note 
your data analysis is so important as a small business because uh, I was because I was always quite big on the data and we will mark and we will track everything and it will be in a spreadsheet. And actually, I'm taking credit for that. But Helen, who joined me, um, you know, very early stages of the business and to be sort of my ops manager was a huge part of that, um, you know, sort of that data collection. But that allowed us that allowed us now to have the data and be able to look at, OK, when can we expect to be busy? Um, but yeah, seasonality is a huge one. And also from a resource perspective, we all know if I said to you, you're moving, what day are you going to move? It's going to be a Friday for most people. Um, and I could have five times as many people working every Friday, but then would really struggle to, to find them work on a Tuesday or Wednesday, okay. for example. Um, so you kind of live or die by your ability to expand and contract in, in the removals world. You know, that's a, that's a real challenge. And is diversification the other solution? Is that something you thought about? You know, what do you do with those, yep. that labour? I had the amount of times I told my guys, within a few months, you're going to be cleaning carpets. And they're like, you know, we don't want to do it. And I'm like, yeah, but actually it would fit in nicely because yep. it's an obvious upsell. People are either moving out, so they need to clean the carpets from a rental deposit perspective. People are moving in. Lovely new carpets. Have you thought about getting them, um, you know, cleaned? Um, you know, and, and, and that was something, you know, for example, just one of the many ideas I've had that we thought we could execute and, you know, they would be much more flexible than moving. They wouldn't need to have their carpets cleaned on a Friday. Um, so, yeah, I think diversification is, is, is the key, you know. Next up is Sandra Palmer-Snelling, Director of Pharma Palmers, a fun park based in Poole, and Staglers, an eco-friendly dog chew. Both of these businesses are family-owned and run. In this clip, Sandra discusses the unpredictability that makes running your own business so fulfilling and the influence her family has had on her ambitions and her own career path. Getting up in the morning and not knowing quite what's coming in yeah. every day for me is exciting. Yeah. You know, because it's not humdrum. Yeah. And I think anybody that runs their own business will totally recognise that. Um, and the fact that you can make things happen Definitely. in your day as well, which is exciting. So, as a you know, child, parents using the land entirely as a farm. When did the concept to convert an element of that land and an element of the farm into a farm park as a children's and family attraction come about? Well, I think, I mean, originally I remember sitting down with my dad and Philip saying, you know, I wanted to do stables or horses or something with part of the farm. To which I got a response of, you don't want to be in wellies for the rest of your life. Yeah, okay. So that was a real solid block of... Okay. If you don't mind me asking, was that just towards you, or was that towards you and Philip, your brother? No, that was that was my idea and my block. I okay. think, um, which is yeah. fair enough. That's a bit like my own concept now. Of if you've got teenagers, I've yeah. got eighteen-year-old daughter and nineteen-year-old um, son, and go out and make your way in the world. Yeah. Learn on other. It's terrible to say, but learn yeah. on other people's businesses. Yeah. Bring those skills back if that's what you want to do. Um, and, you know, that's, I think, what happened to us. Philip went off and did landscape gardening. Um, I was working at Sydenham's down in Poole, the timber merchants, oh, learning okay. accounts and office skills and all that side of So there things. wasn't a natural expectation that you would come into the farming business. No. You both, both you and your brother, sort of left the farm. Yeah, but I think and Philip to learn was, some skills. Plus, Philip back. was trying to carve his own path, but father's expectation was obviously that his son yeah. would come back and farm. Now we hear from Darren Mooney, who started his own design agency aged just 22. 26 years on, 
Studio Global still is going strong with its mission to tell beautiful stories of some of the world's brands. In this clip, Darren talks about how a gift from his uncle proved to be the start of his agency and the importance of having someone to learn from. My uncle said to me, he said, I've got a present for you. Um, and this is where Global really started, was that he, he gave me this massive beige box of a, of a Mac. You know, it was his first ever kind of Apple Mac back in the day um, and, and a monitor. And he said, look, you can obviously pay for it to get home, but you can have it. And, you know, at this point, it was worth quite a yeah. few quid. So I never forget it. I was walking through, you know, obviously come out of Heathrow the other end with this massive <laughs> beige box of a monitor and, and an Apple Mac. Um, and then kind of had it and it gave me the skills that, that I okay. use today. And, and, you know, that's really how Global started. And I came came back and I remember being in, um, some people will remember the Artful Dodger in, in, yeah. in Bournemouth. Um, and a good friend of mine, you know, one of the kind of groups, he just sort of said, look, you know, what, what are you doing? I said, I've just come back from America and, you know, I've learned a lot about design. And he went, oh, you know, I um, I quite fancy doing a design business. I, people ask me for design work all the time. He said, do you want to start something? And as all good businesses tend yeah, to do, they start a in a pub, you know, <laughs> in a pub. You know, we, we were underage drinking a pint in the Artful Dodger and and, and that was it. And um I remember talking to my mum and dad and said, look, I'm going to start my own business. And I think at this point I was, whatever, 20, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, so yeah, 21 I would have been. Um, and So your only ever employed role was with your uncle? Well, I came back and worked part-time and, and, and a bit for a print company over in... Okay. Um, yeah, well, sorry. Well, global basically, global, yeah, so I, I kind okay. of was always running global... But effectively, your skills in running a business and what you've seen... Oh, yeah, 100%. ...completely self-developed. Yeah, a lot, so, you know, I suppose I'm an example, kind of learned some of those skills working in corporate life and then at 30, 29, 30, went, right, I'm going to go and do it for myself. Yeah. You had that spirit in you from an early age. Yeah, and, and you know, Ben... You know, we're not business partners anymore, essentially, in the design agency. But he he taught me a lot. You yeah. know, and and one of the questions on here is that, you know, what um, what do you think you need to do more of? Um, and actually, I probably need to be a bit more ruthless. You know, I I tend to be the guy that tries to keep everyone as yeah. as friends and and do things the right way. And you know, and I think probably you need to be a little bit more ruthless in business, but. You know, I learned a lot from Ben, to be fair, and Global wouldn't be the business it was today if it hadn't been for him. Next are sisters Danny and Mel Bowen and Karna Wilson, who together founded Muddy Boots Nursery School in 2014 while they were all still in their early 20s. There are now five Muddy Boots children's nurseries scattered around Dorset. Here they reflect on the circumstances that brought them together to start Muddy Boots despite having completely different career paths to date. And how did it come about? You know, you said you, you were working together and you knew each other, but, you know, what made you make that kind of step out in 2014 to do something by yourselves? I think we identified a gap in um, quality okay. was a big thing. And I think for business owners, we had the drive and we could see what we wanted from our lifestyle. It was quite a restrictive pay scale and we wanted but more we loved freedom. working with each other though didn't we we yeah. loved working us three okay. like that was a big thing for us yeah definitely yeah so give, having that freedom of all of those things together yeah. just made sense to go out and do it on our own and did you ever you know 
whether you're at school or after school or uni work, whatever you did, before you started working with children, did you ever think you would run your own nursery? Were you always kind of destined to do this, do you think? No. <laughs> I went into beauty therapy when I first left school, so I didn't work with children. Yeah. I don't think any of us did. No, I remember when I was younger, though, I used to say to my dad, one day I'll open a nursery, when I was little. <laughs> did you? I really? Did. Yeah, yeah. I didn't we did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to say to him, I'll open a nursery, and he was like, yeah, yeah. Oh. No, I didn't even think about it. You Did you? No, I was a personal trainer. And I think um, I've started to learn business models in my early 20s. And I found a little bit restricted by personal training because of I could I was only earning so much money. It's kind of one-to-one, one, isn't it? Exactly. One yeah. yeah, whereas the nursery is a completely different model and we don't need to be there now. Um, yeah. We can employ staff to do that. So, Although sometimes we do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we do have to cover quite a lot. <laughs> Chris Palmer founded IT company AnyTech Solutions in 2003. It has since won awards for its customer service and continues to go from strength to strength. Here, Chris remembers how his early experiences in management planted the seed of his entrepreneurship. There was a small blip of experimenting with starting my own business when I got made redundant. And I thought, well, maybe I can still service some of those yeah. customers in London um, on my own. Yeah. And that would be, you know, a de decent turn. But it wasn't enough. Yeah. And um, so it, back into the employee Absolutely, world, absolutely, yeah. definitely. So then I swiftly moved into a... Uh, studio management role because I felt yet again I felt well maybe the money isn't in bureau maybe the money is being in a top-end London advertising agency yeah. um, and possibly in studio or studio management so I did a f quite a few years in agencies as a studio manager then moved into production management so the teams got bigger and bigger yeah. my last role in London I combined all of my skills that I that I'd learnt to date. So I was operations director, but that encompassed um, the production side, encompassed some of the creative side, encompassed logistics, it encompassed internal IT um, and sales support as well from a production point of view. So that really allowed me to cut my teeth okay. on a lot of areas that then made me feel quite confident that actually running my own business is where I need to be. Kenny Aspland and Laura Waters are the founders and directors of Solar Buddies, a child-friendly sunscreen applicator. Their award-winning product has been featured on TV screens around the world, including an appearance on Dragon's Den. And they now operate out of two premises with 10 members of staff, and this is rapidly growing. In this clip, they look back on how their appearance on Dragon's Den taught them valuable lessons about the positive things that can happen when you step outside your comfort zone. I mean, that must have just felt like a complete whirlwind. I suppose there's two things there, isn't it? I suppose there's an example there for all of us in business that sometimes you've just got to step out of your comfort zone and do the things that you don't, you know, don't find natural, don't find intuitive, and great things can happen if you do, but you've got to be bold enough to make that step. But that whirlwind must have been just like, it must have just been all consuming for that four week period. Yeah, it was. I, I, I'm sure we, we probably um, agree. It was, I think, 
the good thing about it happening so quickly was like Kelly said, you didn't have time to stew on it. Mm. You knew you had to get all your documentation in order, write your pitch, learn your pitch, sleep knowing your pitch. It, it was that I was literally going to bed and saying my pitch to help me get to sleep. <laughs> um, it was a whirlwind and I think when we got up there the night before um, to film, it was a bit of a pinch-us moment, you know, it was like, oh my God, what are, we, what, what are we walking into? But I'm so proud of us for getting this far. You know, even if we come out with nothing, um, I think we're, we should be proud of ourselves for putting ourselves through it. Yeah. Um, it was the fear of the unknown, but I think we were very lucky. We went in armed with everything they knew they were going to ask about. Which I think is what you need to do. I think you're daft if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> and you're walking into a den of terror, you know, if you go in there without the, the things they're going to ask you. And, and I think we were extremely lucky um, that all the information we did have is what they wanted and they were, they were happy with it. So, yeah, I think we did all right. Finally, we hear from Will Rolfe, who together with brother Harry produced two-field olive oil from a small farm in Greece. In this clip, Will reflects on the challenges of olive farming, as well as the importance of having a good set of founding principles to guide your business from the very start. Olives are a once a year crop. So yeah. you work all year, and if the week before there's a hailstorm or there's wind and you lose everything, you have nothing, right? So <laughs> that's, that's the nature of the beast. And, and so, of course, but we've always been super clear that those values mattered to us and that was I think the difference is we didn't want to become olive farmers and then think about our values yeah we wanted to do this we wanted to do it differently yeah. and therefore we became olive farmers in order, order yeah. to do that and I think when you spend so much time and be it the business be it the brand be it farming yeah you spend so much time and energy and stress and worry about getting this this thing right that it takes a long time to build something and yeah. very quickly it can be destroyed if you take the misstep yeah. or you cut the corner or you do that. Yeah. And and again, I think that's something that, that farming teaches you. You're in it for the long haul yeah. and we want to have that approach in the business, right? Yeah. And so, and we are, we, we are, we've built our business on direct relationships. So with the, with the re restaurant um, set up and the community project, we work directly with chefs. We don't, there's no, distributors involved okay. we do every, so we are literally responsible for every step from picking every olive and working with our farmers to delivering every box we use okay. a, we do use a courier but um yeah and and so all of those relationships are built on that depth they're mm -hmm. built on that transparency they're built on those those principles yeah the principles so, ethos values are what the chefs are buying into aren't they they're not buying from a distributor and just need olive oil they're buying everything you represent yeah, and, 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 and it works the other way as well. We we choose to work with chefs who get it. Yeah. And we, last year, had meetings with chefs where it wasn't right. I really hope you've enjoyed this special episode. So many incredible stories and valuable lessons within it about the joys and challenges of running your own business and the importance of taking that very first step. We've heard about finding the motivation, starting on a shoestring, raising finance, being disruptive, the importance of having a mentor, finding inspiration, being different, stepping out of your comfort zone, having founding principles and values, and so much more. 
If you are a new business owner or someone who's thinking about setting out on your own, we'd love to aid you on your path to achieving your dreams. So if you'd like to learn more about Evolve's Ignite program or if you're an existing business and want to learn more about our programs that help businesses scale and exit, our Thrive and Optimize programs, then please do go to evolveadvisory.co.uk or send an email to hello at evolveadvisory.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you and thank you for listening.